Good morning, good morning. Happy Palm Sunday. It's great to see you all this morning. I'd like to welcome those watching us online as well. It's great to have you during our time of worship today. We do have a few announcements I want to make you aware of to remind some reminders for this week. As it's the beginning of Holy Week for us to celebrate and to reflect on the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord. First thing, tonight, the prayer gathering has been canceled tonight at 4.30. That was going to be here in the uh, sanctuary, so no prayer gathering tonight. But prayer will pick up next week, Sunday morning at 8 a.m. in room one of the gym. We pray there every morning at 8 a.m. before the service. So just a reminder for what's happening this week. Uh, the Good Friday service we're having this week is at 7 p.m. We will have communion together in a time of reflection with uh, scripture and prayer and worship ending our time with communion. Also want to make you aware as a reminder, uh, we have a community sunrise service next Sunday morning at 630. Uh, We've been doing this for many years now with Grace Presbyterian, Legacy Anglican, and Young Meadows Presbyterian. Um, We also, if you want to participate, uh, right after the sunrise service, there's a time of fellowship and breakfast that takes place in the fellowship hall uh, right after the service. So if you do want to plan on coming for that, it's a great time of fellowship. You can bring a casserole or some muffins or donuts, something to add in, kind of like a potluck style uh, to gather together in fellowship. And obviously next Sunday morning is our Easter service at 1030, but we will be having our Sunday Bible study time at 9 a.m. Everything is normal in that regard to the schedule. Also want to make you aware in two weeks, um, our youth are sponsoring a church-wide kickball tournament. Just going to have a little fun time together out here. Lord willing, the weather will be nice. Pray for that. So April 24th, after the service at 1 o'clock, that will give you enough time to go home and get some food for a picnic, or if you want to get something from your house or get fast food to come back um, just for a time of fellowship, to hang out together. And then they'll start divvying up the teams at 1 p.m. to have a kickball tournament with the youth. Also want to make you aware, very excited about this, Kyle, wave your hands. This is Kyle Watley and his wife Kayla are starting a new life group um, on Sunday, April 24th. That's Sunday evening. Um, It's going to be an every other week life group. And it's for anyone, including families with young children. It's going to be uh, family integrated service projects will also be a part of this each month. They have a, uh, Kyle and Kayla have a very much a missions mindset to serve the community here in Montgomery. And so there will be a once a month project to go together as a group to serve someone in this community and also to uh, share the gospel and to just help serve. So all the information I've mentioned so far is on our website, is at gatewaybaptist.com. On our news and events page, you will see all of these updates. Um, And also, just a reminder, I mentioned it last week, uh, Saturday, April 30th, men's overnight backpacking trip um, will be for teenage boys and their dads or any other adults. Uh, Saturday, April 30th into Sunday morning, May 1st, you guys will come back then going to the FDR State Park and the Pine Mountain Trail. So it's open to teenagers and adults. Um, And lastly, before I call Grady up to welcome some new members, we're going to watch a video for a moment. Hi, I'm Dale Hadaway, the director for this year's Capital City Bible Reading Marathon. And I'm standing here in front of historic Union Station in downtown Montgomery at His Vessel Ministries because I want to invite you to participate with us in the annual Capital City Bible Reading Marathon on Thursday, May 5th through Saturday, May 7th. We're going to kick off this year's Capital City Bible Reading Marathon on Thursday, May 5th in conjunction with the National Day of Prayer and the Montgomery Prayer Breakfast. Participants on that day will have the opportunity to sign up to read portions of the Old Testament 
from any location that's convenient to them. On Friday, May the 6th and Saturday, May the 7th, we're going to switch focus and be right here at His Vessel Ministries reading the New Testament. Each of those reading increments are going to be about 15 minutes long, and participants have the option to sign up for more than one if they wish. Also, if you have a group of friends or a group from your church that you would like to sign up together for this event, you're more than welcome to reserve a group of time. Now, I've told you the what of the Capital City Bible Reading Marathon, but who is this for? Well, this is for Christians of all walks of life, young and old, far and wide, to be able to participate in the reading of God's Word aloud. Now, why do we do this? There's two reasons that we do this. Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 55:11, when God's Word goes forth, it will not return to him void. In fact, Isaiah tells us that it will go forth and accomplish the purposes that the Lord has set for it. So the second reason we do this is in Matthew 22, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? His response was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. That this is the first commandment and the greatest commandment. And you see, we believe that there's no better way to show the love that we have for our Lord than to cultivate a relationship with His Son and demonstrate that to other people through the reading of His Word publicly in a format like this. Once you sign up and be a part of reading God's Word aloud in our city, in our state, and for our community, and then be witnesses to watch and see God's Word go forth and accomplish His purpose that He intended for it. For any information on how to sign up, please call the Vessel Room or visit their website at hisvessel.org. Have a blessed day. All right. Dale, I know you're here. Where are you, brother? There he is. Dale Hadaway's up front. And so if there's any other questions regarding this, I've been able to participate with this for a few years. We, they took a year off because of COVID, but it's just a really sweet time and just a real impacting time to declare God's word. And if you go to hisvessel.org, you can literally see all the time slots that you can plug in and be a part of this. And there really is something about going downtown, you guys, and literally being in a physical place and declaring God's word aloud at the gateway of our city and proclaiming that. We, we were able to do it for a few years at the Capitol. We're not able do this now literally declaring it down dexter and it echoing off the buildings but it's a really powerful time in the lord so i recommend and really highly encourage you to go online and to sign up for a few slots grady if you come up now but we get the joy this morning of introducing several of our new members here in the life of the church just a quick reminder of how the membership process works that people who are interested in joining gateway after they've visited attend a Discover Gateway luncheon class at my house. And then after that, they meet with one of our elders to, so we can hear their story and their testimony of God's grace. And it goes to you, the church body, for approval. So the people we're about to introduce, if you're a member of Gateway, they shouldn't be new to you. You've seen their names already over email a few weeks back. But uh, Brian and Jamie Brannigan, Tyler, Scarlett, Martin, you guys come on down. Sarah, Rogan, Whit Loomis, you guys come on up here to the front and stand where everybody can see you. Yeah, bring, bring your kids on down with you also. Hey, come and stand up across the front. You can slide in on the steps here behind Lord's Supper so we can all squeeze in here. We want to introduce these friends to you so you know who they are. We'll start down here. This is Sarah Rogan. Sarah is from Birmingham. She's the youngest of three kids. She is an attorney, and she works in the Criminal Appeals Division of the Attorney General's Office downtown. In Sarah's free time, she enjoys reading. She says she likes napping, watching and discussing movies, being outside. You'll see this is a common theme among a lot of being outside when it's warm and eating at fun restaurants. And so, Sarah, we're so excited to welcome you to Gateway. <clears throat> 
Right here is Whit Loomis, and Mackenzie is his wife, who's already been a longtime Gateway member, as is her family here. But they got married just a year and a half ago, so Whit is still a newlywed. He is the hospitality director at Chick-fil-A in East Chase, so he has a very busy job. And I love seeing him there all the time, because you know that's one of my favorite places to eat, but that's no surprise. So I love his job there. In his free time, he loves playing cards, and he loves barbecuing. And he said he is excited to be officially joined, and we're excited for you also, Whit. Welcome officially. <laughs> Now here in the middle, this is Brian and Jamie Brannigan. Their kids are Samuel, who's five, Patrick, who's two, and Joanna, who is six months. They are, Brian's an Air Force officer. They just moved here in January, so they're very new to Montgomery, but they're here for a little bit longer time. We have about two and a half years with them, so we're excited that God has brought them here for a little bit longer than some of our military friends. They love doing stuff outside and just spending time together as a family, so we're thankful that God has brought you guys to Gateway as well. And down the end here are Tyler and Scarlett Martin and their twin boys, Ezekiel and Ellie Azar, who are seven. They have been married nine years and lived in eight houses. So yes, that means they are a military family, right? Tyler's in the School of Advanced Air and Space Studies at Maxwell. Scarlett is a registered dietitian, but she homeschools the kids now. And like you've heard from others, she, they both love the outdoors, camping, rock climbing, hiking, traveling. And for those who don't know, Tyler also loves coffee and he actually roasts his own coffee beans at home and he makes some of the best coffee around. Um, Sadly for us, they're moving this summer in June to Tucson, Arizona as the military moves them on, but they've been plugged in since they got here a year ago, and they wanted to make this officially their church home for their time here, so we just commend you for your commitment to membership and being involved in the life of the church. But when I ask each of the people to share with me something they want, to, they want shared, they wrote something, and I just want to read this to you and thank you and encourage you. They said, we've often wondered why God moved us to Maxwell Air Force Base. I guess that's not the premier location everyone's longing for in the military, right? <laughs> so we often wonder why God brought us to Maxwell Air Force Base, but it's clear that Gateway was the reason. We're so thankful and blessed by each of you. We can't adequately express our gratitude for welcoming us and embracing us from the moment we showed up in the parking lot on our first Sunday here. So to all of you who've loved them, welcome them. Thank you so much. Welcome officially as members. <laughs> Thanks, guys. If you want to head back to your seat, and if you've been visiting and want to know more about membership, come talk to me or anyone on our elder team. We'd love to talk to you more. CJ's going to lead us in a call to worship. Our Lord this morning, and just as you know, we've reflected on today's Palm Sunday and just thinking about Jesus entering into Jerusalem and all of those waving the palms and celebrating and declaring Hosanna, Hosanna. I just love this psalm that just declares why we are worshiping tonight, why we should celebrate God this morning and just to reflect on who he is. Just a few portions here from Psalm chapter 145. David declares, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. For the Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Let's celebrate our Lord this morning.
Jesus, you are near. The peace of God surrounding me, casting out all fear. The hand that holds the heaven. Is the mighty hand that saves the peace that calms the storming seas? It's calling me by name, and I'm singing it the victory, the victory of the cross, resting in the shadow. I'm standing on the promise, the promise of your life.
Father, this morning we've sung songs that remind us again of who you are and can't begin to imagine what that day will be like when we will see you face to face. Lord, as we sung this morning, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. This morning, Lord, as we come together to worship and pray, Lord, we do so through Christ, the one who has redeemed us from the curse of sin and has delivered us from the wrath and condemnation of you, Father. It is the righteousness of Christ that allows us to come this morning into your holy presence. And it's through his blood that we have been forgiven. And this morning, Lord, as Grady comes to preach on the ordinance of the Lord's table, we will be reminded once again that, Jesus, you were pierced for our transgressions. You were crushed for our iniquities. You took upon yourself our shame, our sin, our guilt. So, Father, we just praise you for saving us. And Lord, this morning as we pray, we do so knowing that you hear our prayers, that you love us, and Lord, you use our prayers to accomplish your purposes. And this morning we want to pray for the children's ministry and for Molly. Thank you, Lord, for what she does and how she serves this, this body. Lord, we pray for the children's ministry that you continue to bless it. And Lord, I just think of all the children that are represented in this congregation. And my prayer, God, is that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, we want to see our children walking with you. Lord, we also want to pray for the ministry of Fisher's Farm, and thank you for Jeff and Jennifer Hand, and the men who are serving are in that ministry, and we pray for each one of those men, that God, you would continue to bless and strengthen their faith and grow them in their walk with you, and may they know victory in you, Lord, uh, in those areas of, of struggles and addictions. God, that you would set them free that you would deliver them, and that, Lord, through this ministry, your name would be exalted. Thank you for Jeff and Jennifer and their faithfulness, and, Lord, we just continue to lift them up to you, asking that you would continue to use them and bless them. Father, we pray for the churches in this area, and this morning we want to lift up to you Pastor Michael Troy at Thorington Road Baptist Church, and we pray for that ministry. We ask, Lord, that you continue to use him, give him wisdom and grace as he shepherds that body. Lord, we pray that uh, they would allow them to see much fruit in that ministry and many would come to know you and many would be shepherded and cared for, Lord, faithfully. Lord, we also want to pray for our leaders. We pray for Governor Ivy and uh, the Lord where you placed her and this role and ask her that you would ask you, Lord, that you'd give her grace and give her wisdom as she leads the state. Pray that she would do so, do so courageously. She would do so with... Uh, in mind your your word and your truth. Pray for Mayor Reed as well, and as he leads the city, that you would give him wisdom. We thank you for the leaders that you do put in place, and Lord, our, our desire is to see that they would follow you, that they would look to you for wisdom. Lord, we also want to pray for global missions, and uh, the missionaries around the world, we think this morning of the missionaries in the home church in Oslo, Norway, as they're starting a, a language cafe there in Oslo. We ask God that as they start this cafe, that this ministry will draw new people into their community and into the church, and that through this ministry, many would hear the gospel, and that that gospel would do its work, and that 
the, the seed of the gospel be planted and would bear much fruit in that, in that ministry, Lord. Lord, thank you for the men and women around the world who are faithfully sowing the seed of the gospel. Lord, I want to pray in addition this morning to our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and the great suffering that they are enduring. Uphold them and keep them, I pray. We pray for the persecuted church, Lord. So many who are hurting. So many who are looking to you today, Lord, for food, deliverance. God, be near to them. Father, we thank you for the offering and what has been given online and what will be given today. And we pray that we would be good stewards of the resources that you have given us. I pray, Lord, that you would take those resources and that you would multiply them. And that, Lord, we here at Gateway would just use those finances, Lord, to further your kingdom. And Lord, as Grady comes this morning and preaches on the wonder and the beauty of the cross and the wonder and the beauty of the Lord's table, I pray, Lord, that your word again will remind us how this ordinance is so important, how it is to remind us of our communion with you, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would bless him and that you would anoint him as he preaches your word. And I ask, Lord, that we would, those in this room who are listening to this sermon and those online, God, that you would give them ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, we are so dependent on you when we come in moments like these, dependent on you to do your work in our hearts. And so we ask that you would do that. And we just give you the praise and the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Just going to remind the children, we're exiting that way. Yes, first to fourth graders, you are welcome to head to those doors right there to head to kids to worship. It's a reminder of parents when the service is over, you can pick them up in the blue hall in the gym building. They will be waiting for you there. It's good to see you this morning, Gateway family. It's great to be back with you this morning after being away last week. And don't you find Matthew chapter 26 and your copy of God's Word, Matthew chapter 26. Now we're continuing our journey to be more rooted and grounded in what we believe in the Word of God. And so we're spending two weeks of this study on what we call the ordinances of the church, these symbols that God gave to the church to point us to deep spiritual realities. Now last week, Rick showed us the first of those two ordinances, and that was baptism. This powerful symbol of our new life in Christ, this beautiful picture of our identifying with his death, his burial, his resurrection, this testimony of God's grace changing us, something we do once as a follower of Christ. Now today we come to the second ordinance, the second symbol that Christ gave to his church, and it's one we do all throughout the rest of our lives, and that is the Lord's Supper, or in some traditions they call it communion. So today, if you're following along in the catechism that's been guiding us, we're going to tackle questions 46 and 47 this morning with the question, what is the Lord's Supper? What is the Lord's Supper? But I want us to add a second question to that to keep in mind. As you look at the familiar elements down here that we will be celebrating in just a little while at the end of the service, as we prepare to take it, as we think about it, I want us to also ask the question this morning, how does taking the Lord's Supper impact you and me personally? What impact does it have on us when we take the Lord's Supper. Friends, do we anticipate it? Do we long for the weeks that we as a church celebrate this? Or is it something that has become passive to us, something that we just do when it's handed to us? Is this something that profoundly impacts us emotionally and spiritually and mentally? Or is it something we just kind of do mindlessly and we take the elements and we move on with our day? Is this something we marvel and wonder at 
Or is it something that's become mundane and routine for us? So not just what is the Lord's Supper, but how does it impact us personally? Now to answer this question, let's go back to when Jesus first instituted the Lord's Supper, the first time it was observed, and that's going to be in Matthew chapter 26. And let's look this morning at Matthew 26, verses 26 through 30. So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? And guys in the booth, can y'all dim the lights a little bit for me up there as well? Thanks. Matthew chapter 26, 26 through 30. We'll have the words on the screen for you. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives." Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the church. God, we thank you for even giving us the grace gifts of these ordinances, these symbols to remind us of what you have done. So Lord, for many of us, as we think about the Lord's Supper or communion, this is a very familiar ordinance. But I pray today, Lord, the familiarity of it would not keep us from finding the wonder and awe of what you have given to us. So Lord, would you take your word, would your Holy Spirit come today and open our eyes to your word that we might see the wonder of your grace, the wonder of what you've done, what we've just sung about, that we would see the glory and the greatness of who you are and of your grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So what is the Lord's Supper and how should it impact us personally? Now let's kind of break this down into three questions to guide us through this discussion this morning. So three questions for us. The, the first one I want us to talk about is what is significant about the Lord's Supper? So what's significant about it? What does the symbol mean? And then how are we to take it? So what's significant? What does it mean? And then how do we take it? So let's start with the first question. What is significant about the Lord's Supper? Now there's no limited amount of things we could say about this, but I want us to focus on two things that are significant about the Lord's Supper this morning to make sure we don't miss this aspect of it. And this comes from the very beginning of verse 26. So go back to verse 26 this morning and notice this first phrase. Now, as they were eating. Now, friends, it's easy for us just to kind of move on from there, but there's a lot to what's just said in this first phrase, as they were eating. And so there's two things significant about the Lord's Supper. I want you to see from this first phrase that they were eating. The first is the Lord's Supper is part of a bigger theme of Scripture of eating with God. It's part of a bigger theme of Scripture of eating with with God. Now, that may sound a little bit strange at first, but follow along with us for just a minute. If you think about eating with someone, it's more than just about the physical calories going in, right? When you eat with someone, it's about sharing that experience with them. It's about fellowship. It's about communing with them. That's why sharing meals together is so important in the life of the church. That's why it's so important for us to get together and to eat together as believers. It's shared life. It's fellowship. It is communion. So now as we talk about eating with God, this indicates a closeness of a relationship with him, an intimacy that we would have with our creator and our redeemer. So think about that from the storyline of scripture. If you go all the way back to Genesis, to Adam and Eve in the garden, every meal they ate before the fall, they would have eaten in the presence of God. You look at the description of the Garden of Eden and God is walking with them and talking with them. They're having conversations with God like you and I would talk to each other. And so back in the garden, they ate, not just aware that God is everywhere, but they ate very conscious of his presence, talking with God over their meals. But friends, when sin came, sin broke our fellowship with God. When they were kicked out of the garden, when the curse came, that intimacy of sharing a meal with God was broken. 
And when you look at the Old Testament, there's only limited times that God would allow people to eat in his presence. One of those would be Exodus chapter 24, verses 9 through 11. Exodus 24, Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, which were Aaron's sons, and 70 of the elders of Israel, they went up. Carries on. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone. Just try to imagine this. Like the very heaven for clearness. Now verse 11. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. Meaning God didn't strike them dead in his presence. Notice this. They beheld God and they did what? They ate and drank. These leaders of Israel were allowed to go into the presence of God and have a meal in the presence of God. And that wasn't the norm for most people in the Old Testament, but God did give the people of Israel a limited experience of eating with him as well. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, you have this where they're bringing their tithes and offerings to the Lord's at different festival. And as they come to the festival, there's a place where God allows them to eat and drink in his presence. Deuteronomy 14, 23. And before the Lord your God is the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Verse 24. So he's setting the stage for this place where they're going to be allowed to eat a special meal in his presence in a special way. Now, what follows in the next two verses is helpful context, but it's what happens they live too far from that place where they'll do this meal with God. He says, if the way is too long for you so that you're not able to carry the tithe, when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, verse 25, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses. Now, verse 26, and to spend the money for whatever you desire. Now, that doesn't mean they go buy whatever their new cloak they wanted. This was to spend their money on whatever offerings they wanted to bring to the Lord, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And it says, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. So the intimacy that Adam and Eve had eating in the presence of God was broken by the fall, but God gives them this glimpse of what it would have been like. He lets the people of Israel eat in his presence in this special time each year. That's pointing them to remember his redemption. It's pointing them to long for the day when we will eat with God in his presence again. And so as we go all the way to the end of Scripture, to Revelation chapter 19, this is a beautiful picture of what is still to come. So in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, notice what we're told will happen. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride... The bride is the church, us, followers of Christ, and his bride has made herself ready. It was great in her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now, verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage, what? The marriage supper of the Lamb of Christ. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So friends, the time is coming when we get to be, as followers of Christ, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the believers from all history united together as the bride of Christ where we share a meal in his presence. So Genesis starts with people eating in the presence of God. The fall breaks that. And in the Old Testament, people get these glimpses of what it would have been like to have eaten with God. These reminders of what will come. We get the picture at the end of Revelation that we get to long for when we will sit down at the Lord's table. And Jesus is reminding us that day is coming. Even in our text today, Revelation, sorry, back to Matthew chapter 26, look at verse 29. Christ alludes to what we just read in Revelation. He said, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine of the Lord's Supper until that day. 
when I drink it near with you in my Father's kingdom. Friends, the day is coming when we will celebrate a meal with Christ in heaven forever. Friends, that's why we sing a song often. I think Justin gets tired of me asking for it, but we're going to sing it again today at the end of communion. Jesus, thank you, because it has this line that's not just figurative. It's true. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. It's not just some nice, like, imaginary thought for us. This is the truth of Scripture, that we're reminded that we will be at the Lord's table one day eating with him. And so one of the great themes of Scripture is God is restoring his people to a right relationship with him to where we can eat in his presence as it was back in the garden. So what we saw in Deuteronomy was just a small glimpse of it, but what we get to do in the Lord's Supper is even more because God is here with us as we do this. Because we have the Holy Spirit as followers of Christ dwelling with us. We have the actual presence of God in our lives as we come together as believers and celebrate this. But we have more than they had in Deuteronomy because we have the Holy Spirit in us. But we don't yet have what we'll have in Revelation 19 when we see God face to face and sit at his table. So as we think about the Lord's Supper, we must understand its significance in terms of this big theme in Scripture of us eating with God, of us being restored to a right relationship with God. There's a second thing of significance of the Lord's Supper as well, besides that part of the theme of God's fellowship with God over a meal. And that has to do with the particular meal that Jesus was eating. Go back to verse number 26 here for us this morning. Again, now as they were eating. So what are they eating here? This is the second thing we want to see this morning is that the Lord's Supper came from the Passover celebration. The Lord's Supper came from the Passover celebration. Jesus did not start something, as we say in the South, from scratch here. He took an existing celebration of God's people, and he breathed new life and meaning into it. Now, Matthew wants to make sure we understand this is the Passover. So when you see things repeated in Scripture, they're repeated for a reason. So go back to Matthew chapter 26. Look up to verse number 17. If you go just a few verses before. Matthew 26, verses 17 to 19. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread... This is the festival. This is the Passover celebration, which is called sometimes the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So there's already a reference to it. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and said, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the what? The Passover. Okay, verse 18. He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the what? The Passover at your house with my disciples. Verse 19, he carries on. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed, and they prepared the what? Okay, four times in three verses... Passover, 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 Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, there's lots of simpler grammatical ways to have said that, but Matthew's repeating what Jesus said because it's important for us to grasp that this was the Passover meal that Jesus took and breathed new meaning into. So what is the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread? It was the main celebration in all of Israel. It was a celebration of redemption for them. It was a celebration of redemption. They looked back to the time when they were physical slaves in Egypt, and God miraculously delivered them. God sent all these plagues, if you remember back to Exodus, and Pharaoh would not let God's people go from slavery. So plague after plague came, Pharaoh would change his mind, then he would harden his heart, and God would harden his heart, and he wouldn't let the people go. And the last plague comes, and God tells the people what would happen on this one. And we go to Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 5, to see what's going to happen with the Passover. He tells the people, your lamb, this is going to be a lamb they're going to sacrifice. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. So they have to have a perfect sacrificial lamb here. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6, he carries on. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood 
and put it on the two doorposts of their house and of the lentil of the houses in which they eat it. Now, verse 8. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. So they're to get ready for this deliverance God's going to provide. They have to kill an innocent lamb, put the blood over the doors of their house. Why? Because verse 11 tells us what God is going to do that night. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, because they're about to go out from slavery. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Verse 13, this blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so in the Passover, as they celebrated what happens, they looked back to that time in Israel's history. They're reminded that an innocent lamb was killed. The blood was put to cover them, and the blood covered them from the judgment of God. Jews were required to celebrate this every year. I've been reading through the Bible chronologically this year, and I'm stunned at how often the Passover is mentioned and how often the commands of how to observe it are repeated over and over and over. It was so important in the life of the people of Israel. They needed to remember God's redemption. And Jesus, who was a Jew who perfectly kept the law, celebrated this Passover every year of his life. But what we have here in Matthew 26 is difference. Something of significance happens here. This particular celebration of Passover was on the night when Jesus was betrayed. This is a Thursday night before his crucifixion the next day. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24 reminds us of the timing of this particular celebration of the Passover. For I see from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And then verse 24 carries on and tells us that he had given thanks, he broke it. So this happened on the night he was betrayed. But Jesus had already told the disciples that. Matthew chapter 26 that we're in today, go back to verse number 2. And we see Jesus telling us this, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So the timing of this is significant because the Passover was about redemption from slavery. And Jesus breathes new life into this on the Passover evening and applies it to himself. That leads us to our second question for the morning. What does this symbol mean? So what was significant about this particular of the Lord's Supper is it was about knowing God and it came from the Passover. So what does that teach us? What does the symbol mean? Go back to verse number 26 for this morning. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. So Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it and he gives it individually to each of his disciples and he gives them a command and then an explanation. The command, take it, eat it. This wasn't a suggestion for them. This was an imperative. This was a command. He was telling his disciples then and now, this was his expectation to pause and remember redemption. And then he explains to them, this is my body. Now, in the Aramaic language that Jesus and the disciples spoke, there is no word is. So he literally would have held up the bread and said, this, my body. So what does he mean by all of this? He is giving a massive change in meaning to the Passover celebration. He took this celebration about physical deliverance from slavery, and he makes it about spiritual deliverance from sin. He makes it about freedom from not just the penalty of sin and the judgment of God, he makes it about the freedom from the power of sin in our lives as well. And he takes a celebration that the Jews celebrate every year to look backwards to the past, and he put himself in the middle of it and said, it's actually all about me. This has been pointing to me all this time. And so he breaks up the bread, he holds up and says, this 
my body. Now, just to be clear, he's not saying that this bread has somehow becomes his body. When we break the bread and celebrate it, we're not saying this bread is actually physically becoming the, the body of Jesus. There's been some traditions that have taught that in the past, and that's not what it means. This is a symbol, an object lesson from Jesus. Just like when Jesus says, I am the vine or I am the door, when he says, this is my body, he's giving us an important object lesson to tell us the bread represents his body. And the breaking of the bread reminds us of what was going to happen to Jesus' body on the cross. The breaking of the bread is a picture of his suffering and death to forgive us of our sins. Now, two details here I want to make sure we do not miss about the breaking of the bread. First one, notice that Jesus himself breaks it. Peter doesn't break it. John doesn't break it. Even Judas, who betrayed him, does not break it. This is a symbol that Jesus is giving us. And when he breaks the bread and stuff, he said, this is my body. He's breaking his own body figuratively in front of, the, of his disciples there. He's showing them his absolute sovereignty over what is happening. What's happening to Jesus on the cross, we're going to celebrate Friday night on Good Friday, is not some plan B. It's not God in heaven being like, oops, how do I make this right? This was a sovereign plan before the creation of the world. Jesus tells us this, John chapter 10, verse 17. We get a glimpse of this. He said, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay, my, lay down my life. He's voluntarily laying down his life, that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me. Judas didn't take it from him. The religious leaders didn't take it from him. No one did that. He said, I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority. He's the sovereign king. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again, to be raised back to life. This charge I've received from my father. So don't miss it. When Jesus breaks the bread, he is saying, I am the sovereign king, and I am willingly choosing to die to forgive you of your sins. But the second thing I want to make sure we don't miss in Jesus breaking the bread is notice back in verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, as we're blessing it means to give thanks for it. And so the wording changes. Verse 27, we see that. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. So he blessed it. He gave thanks for it. He gave thanks for the cup, friends. Jesus knows the suffering that he is about to endure. He told his disciples what's coming. He breaks the bread. He explains what all this is. And yet he still gives thanks to the Father, even though he knows what he's going to endure. Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 2 gives us a picture of this. In the stunning verse, where we're told to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before him. He breaks the bread and he gives thanks. He tells the disciples, this is my body. It's going to be broken. I'm about to be stripped and crucified and beaten and go through the cruelest form of execution ever invented. And he gives thanks to the Father. He shows the juice and talks about his blood being poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And he gives thanks to the Father in this moment. This is his sovereign plan. And for the joy set before him, he can endure the cross. So the bread represents for us Jesus' bodily suffering and death that he willingly endured for the joy of gathering a people to himself. The bread represents his suffering, his death of his body for the, so that he's going to willingly choose to do for the joy of of gathering a people, a group of worshipers for himself. What about the juice? Look at verse 27. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. Now remember, this was the Passover. In the Passover, there were four cups of wine that were drank during the meal. The scholars say that this particular cup that he's referencing here would have been the third cup of the Passover meal, because the third cup is the cup that they drank to remember that God would redeem them. That God will redeem them. So they take the cup of redemption from the Passover meal. And he says, this 
this cup, this my blood. And he commands them to drink this cup. Why? Verse 28, he gives us the reason for it. For this, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. The blood of the covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is a promise of how God's going to relate to his people. And so what Jesus is doing here is connecting what he's about to endure, the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood. He's taking us back to a covenant, a promise that God has made. And he's referencing back to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Because back in the time of the prophet Jeremiah, there was a promise from God of a new covenant, a new way that God will relate to his people. Look at what it said back in Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Verse 32. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke. That was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law, notice this, within them, and I will write it on their hearts. This is a change from the inside out, God does. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then verse 34 is so stunning. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. I'll forgive their sins, and I'll remember their sins no more. This is what Jesus is referencing when in the verse he says the blood of his covenant here that through jesus's death the shedding of his blood god is bringing about a new covenant where people can not only have their sins forgiven but where god's law is written on their hearts to where they know god where they can one day eat at his table a covenant all because of grace a covenant that cannot be broken because it has nothing to do with us all we bring to this is sin and god brings grace and does everything else so so far on the lord's supper what's significant about it it's all about eating with God and knowing him. It comes from the Passover. What does it mean? It shows us that the suffering and death of Jesus is our sacrifice, is what forgives us of our sins and what brings us into a new covenant relationship where we're changed from the inside out because of grace, where we can know God. So our last question, how are we to take it? How are we to take it? Now, there's two key ways I want us to look at this morning because the New Testament doesn't go into lots of detail about how often we're to take it or even all the details about how to take it. The scripture focuses on our heart attitudes towards it. So two ways that we're to take it. But before we jump into this, just a quick clarification. If you've been around Gateway any, this is, you know this because you've heard me say it before. This is only for believers to take. It's only for followers of Christ. It's a symbol of what we believe about Christ. If you don't believe that Christ died for your sins, this is not for you to take. This is for just believers. But for believers, how are we to take it? And how should it impact us personally? Number one, we should take it treasuring knowing God. We should take it treasuring that we know God. This powerful symbol is designed for us to be a grace gift to remind us that we can know God, that we can be in a relationship with him, and it reminds us of our own redemption. The symbol is something that calls us to pursue knowing God more. So we gather at the Lord's table to treasure the fact that we know God and to ultimately get us to long for what we saw in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. Remind you of that one again the time that comes when we'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is to remind us of those truths. It's a grace gift to help us treasure knowing God. My friends, the reality is none of us treasure God like we should. And some of you may even say today, hey, I really am not treasuring God today. I'm just kind of living my life. If you're a follower of Christ, you're going, hey, I'm not treasuring God like I should. The Lord's Supper is not a call to avoid it. But it's a call to take time as you celebrate this to be honest with God 
and to talk with God of, God, I don't treasure you like I should, and to ask him for help, like, Lord, would you change my heart affections? I want to experience this change from the inside out where your law was written on my heart, where I want to know you, and you use the Lord's Supper as a chance to examine your heart, to be honest with God, and to cry out to him saying, Lord, I want to treasure you more. Help me treasure you more. As you take the bread and you drink the cup, you're reminded through the symbol of God's grace, and you ask him to help you treasure him more. There's a second way we're to, to take the Lord's Supper, not just treasuring God, but also to take the Lord's Supper, treasuring one another, of treasuring one another. Friends, when Jesus did the Passover meal, this wasn't a private him and God celebration here. The Passover was a time for family and friends to come together to celebrate God's redemption. Likewise, one of the main ways we take the Lord's Supper as believers is together in the church because we want to celebrate our unity as believers that God is redeeming a people for himself. Friends, when we get to that marriage feast of the Lamb, we're not going to be sitting in a one-on-one booth in the back of a restaurant with Jesus, right? This is the bride of Christ, all of us together as the church throughout all the ages at the table together with Christ our Lord, seeing him in all of his glory. This is what we will do in heaven together, and so we do it together here on earth now as a sign of our unity together. It helps us treasure one another. If you think about the text we read often in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, Paul is correcting the people for their selfishness because of their division within the local church. He says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Now, they were eating bread and they were drinking the wine, but it wasn't the Lord's Supper. Why? Because he says, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Paul is reprimanding the church in Corinth because they're doing the externals of the Lord's Supper, but their hearts for one another are not right. They're not caring about the needs of one another. They're not caring about being united as they do this. So he gives them this strong warning in verse 29 a few verses later. He says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, there's two different ways people have interpreted this verse over the years. Some people say the body here is talking about the body of Christ. It's a warning, they say, to not take the Lord's Supper without thinking about what Christ endured for you. And now that's certainly true, and we certainly believe that. But the second interpretation of the body here is the body of Christ, the church. It's saying whoever eats and drinks the Lord's Supper without caring about other believers at the same time, they're bringing about judgment on themselves. That's the context of what Paul has been talking about in 1 Corinthians 11. And I would just suggest we don't have to argue over which interpretation it is. I think both is in view here. That we need to take the Lord's Supper remembering Christ's sacrifice, but we take the Lord's Supper remembering one another as well and caring for one another. So part of the call of the Lord's Supper is, yes, to treasure God, but also to treasure the church, to treasure our relationships with one another. It's a chance to examine our hearts and let the Holy Spirit search us to say, Lord, am I relating to other believers like I should? Which isn't that what Jesus himself taught in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24? In Matthew 5, Jesus tells us, if you're offering your gift at the altar in this time of worship, you there remember that your brother has something against you. In other words, that you've sinned against them in some way and they're offended because of your sin. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Christ cares about our hearts and our relationships. So he says, as far as it depends on us, we're to be at peace with one another. So again, when we come to the Lord's table, if we realize our relationships with other believers aren't right, what do we do? We repent. We talk to God about it. We confess it to him. And we take the Lord's Supper to drive us to pursue unity with other believers, to run to people and to seek peace with those that we have wronged. So the Lord's Supper is done together to help us treasure our unity as believers. So let's bring all that together this morning before we take it together. What is the Lord's Supper and how should, we affect, and how should it affect us? Here's what I want us to see. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity, friends, to help us treasure knowing God and treasure knowing one another. 
It's an opportunity. Yes, it is a command. Jesus says, do this. Take this in remembrance of me. Take, eat, take, drink. This is not optional for followers of Christ, but it's a command he gives us for our own good. God knows how short-sighted we are and how forgetful we are, and so he commands us to regularly do this to help us treasure knowing him, to help us rejoice at his grace, to pause from the busyness of life and be reminded of the cost of our redemption, to be reminded of what he did so that we can be brought into a relationship with him, to be reminded of that day that's still to come when we see him face to face and sit at the marriage supper of the lamb. But he also gives it to us to help us treasure each other. That's why we do it around here, usually at least monthly, because we want to have opportunities to pause together and treasure each other. Friends, that's why even we do it to where you will come down the front to get it. It's a sense of our community together, of us being united together as we celebrate this. It's a lot easier to have you just sit in your seat and have those plastic things you pull off and you're sitting behind you, but we want us to come together. This is the unity of the believers at Gateway. It's a grace gift from God to help us treasure knowing God and knowing one another. Now, in light of all that, friends, we want to celebrate this this morning together. As we do so, I want you to think about these things. As you, as you wait to come forward, as you receive the elements, as you sit down and you look at them, I want you to take a few minutes and pray and talk to the Lord in the waiting and to ask him, Lord, am I treasuring you like I should? In areas where we're falling short, to be honest with him, he knows everything. And let's talk to him. And Lord, am I treasuring the body of Christ? Am I treasuring other believers as I should? And if we're not, to be honest and confess that with him and to receive his forgiveness, to receive his grace that is not dependent on us in any way, shape, form, or fashion, and to rejoice in that grace, to sit in that grace, to thank him for that grace today, and then to take it whenever you are ready. So the way it's going to work, the way we do it, if you're new to Gateway or visiting with us in just a few minutes, I'll be up front with two of our deacons, and then some of our elders and deacons will help direct you to come to the front. They'll just watch for their direction of when to come forward. You'll come down the center aisle, get the elements, and then head back the sides to your seats. So just follow their directions on that. We know that if some of you do not feel comfortable in the crowd coming forward, there's at the very back of each of the two aisles, elements already sealed and ready for you. Feel free to take those and return to your seat if that would be best for you. And for those with dietary needs, we have gluten-free elements here and in the back as well. We want you to be able to rejoice in God's grace and to celebrate this together. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. Our praise team will come get their elements and then follow the usher's directions to come get the elements. Again, there's no rush to take them. Use this moment to treasure knowing God Use this moment to treasure the church and to talk to the Lord and let the Holy Spirit search your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and to search you and to draw you closer into intimacy with God, to increase your longings to know him and to see what the Lord does as we take what he's commanded of us and experience his grace. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your grace. Lord, that sounds so trite in some ways that we say it so often, but Lord, we recognize apart from your grace, we have nothing, Lord, we have no hope. And so, Lord, we just come to you today just asking you to increase our awareness of your grace. Ask us to increase our awe of that grace. For this thing we talk about so much, I pray that the Holy Spirit within us would stir our heart affections to long to know you more. And so, Lord, as we look at the bread that is broken and we're reminded, Lord Jesus, of your body that you willingly allowed to go through such suffering to pay the penalty we deserve, to take the wrath that should have been put on us as we look at the juice and are reminded of your blood that was poured out because we know without the, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Lord, help us not take this hastily. Help us not take this in a mundane, routine way. Help us ponder the gospel. Help us ponder grace today and help us ponder your love for us. And I pray in return, we would thank you. We would celebrate. We would rejoice. And would you keep sanctifying us and growing us into who you desire us to be. So we give you thanks for this ordinance. We give you thanks for this opportunity to treasure knowing you and to treasure knowing one another. 
We ask that you use it for your glory and your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen.
stand as we get ready to sing this. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Won't you enter me?
just sung a prayer to the Lord. So just in a minute before I pray, where you're saying, just pray to the Lord and thank him that now in your words to him. Father, what a glorious truth. We, your enemies, are now seated at your table. And Lord, we long for that day. We get to be part of that wedding feast of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Lord, would you grow our affections for you this week? Would you grow our understanding this week of your grace? Lord, would you grow our longings for that day? We see you face to face. Lord, we've just sung. Lord, we want to live for you. Lord, we recognize we can't do that on our own. So we ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us this week. Lord, that your plan for us to be clear in our hearts and our minds, and Lord, that by your grace, by your Holy Spirit leading us, by your word coming alive to us, Lord, we would live for you this week in ways that only you can enable us to do. For your glory and for our joy, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family.